0: Series of marriage and the family and we've covered a whole host of different topics as the lord has led and today is a message that i feel like <clears throat> can be applied to all walks of life it doesn't just necessarily have to be with a family unit certainly it's it's centered around that today with the message but this is going to apply <clears throat> excuse me whether you are single whether your kids have moved out or you don't have any kids at all it really doesn't matter this topic will be one that I feel will apply to all of us. The title of the message today is, Can You Hear Me? Can you hear me? We're going to look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 7, more more as a springboard into the message than going verse by verse today. But we will touch base on this topic. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able, one last time, please, stand and let's read God's Word together, and then we'll go to the Lord again in prayer. Genesis 11, beginning at verse 1. Now the whole earth, "...had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves." lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language or one voice. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do now will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse or confound their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Lord, help us today to clearly understand, to hear from you, and to take this message into our lives so that we can live for your glory, so that our homes and our churches and our communities can be strengthened as we as believers shine our light brighter than ever before. We love you again, Lord, and thank you for being so good to us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Can you hear me? That was... A slogan of a popular cell phone company several years ago. Can you hear me now was actually what the slogan was. But uh, regardless, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that we are living in a time where people are saying more, communicating more than ever before, yet people are listening less and less. I really believe that. There is a story that I found kind of starting into this message, and it says there was a married couple who had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. Ever been there? That's worse than yelling at each other when you don't speak. That's just terrible. Two days into their mute argument, the man realized that he needed his wife's help. Yep, that's usually how it goes. In order to catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting, He had to get up at 5 a.m., but he didn't want to be the first one to break the silence. So he wrote on a piece of paper, Please wake me up at 5 a.m. The next morning, the man woke up, only to discover his wife was already out of bed, and it was 9 a.m., and his flight had long since departed. He was about to find his wife and demand an answer for her failing when he noticed the piece of paper by the bed that read, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> that comical story, maybe you've been there before. Guys, don't admit it. we don't admit it, but we've probably been there. But it's a good example of how we may be communicating, but in a totally different way than the other person expected, or the signals get crossed, and the problem doesn't get better, it gets worse, Right? We've been there when it comes to communicating. And so we look at our story in Genesis, and obviously this is an account of people who have left God and are making a tower ultimately to worship God. They are building this tower so that they can, in essence, evoke the blessings of whatever God it is at the time that they were as a culture serving to come down and honor them, provide for them meet their needs. And they had forsaken the one true God, the living God, to do this. And as a result, God comes down, He sees what's going on, and in an act of judgment, He confuses or confounds their language so that they're all speaking different and the project is no longer able to be accomplished because they can't communicate anymore to get this thing done. And so I wanted to use that as an example of a group of people that were together together And doing great things, but when the lines of communication got crossed, everything stopped. And that's true in your homes, and that's true in our lives. If we're not communicating, then things are not going to go well. As believers, we have a very specific message that we're supposed to be communicating. We have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ to take into a lost and dying world. We understand that a lost world is not going to immediately receive that message with joy. Unless the Holy Spirit convicts and opens the hearts of people, they are going to stay hardened and dead in their trespasses and sins. But that does not mean that our mission has changed in any way, shape, or form. Our duty as believers is to take the gospel into a lost and dying world and preach Jesus Christ and the good news that He came to save sinners. That's our mission every day. And so as we, as we think about that as believers, and we'll come back full circle to that, I do want us to think about a couple of points in our lives today where communication is so vital. And I want you to ask yourself, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will press this into your heart today, to examine yourself in these areas and see if you're truly living this out in your life on a day-to-day basis. Number one. I want you to ask yourself this question. In your home, in your churches, in your workplaces, is my speech life-giving or destructive? Is my speech life-giving or destructive? I tell our folks all the time, we talked about it again this morning, but when I worked as a machinist for many years, I learned after, well, it took me a while because I'm hard-headed, but I learned eventually at 7 o'clock in the morning, don't go in the break room. Avoid the break room at all costs. Because guess what goes on in the break room every day before work? Negativity. Did you see what the third shift did? It's always every shift's against each other. Well, it's the first shift's fault. They didn't do anything. Second shift's mad at first shift and third shift. And then they're mad at the boss. Well, the boss doesn't. And it on and on it goes. You could You could have won the lottery the night before and when you come into the break room the next morning, you'll be miserable by five minutes after you've had your coffee. It's just terrible. Maybe, And if you work in a place that's like that, praise God for it. Because most of the places I've ever been, the break room is a toxic place to go into. Avoid it at all costs, you know. But if you do go in there, it's so easy to get pulled into that negativity. Yeah, you're right. Third shift is lazy. They don't do anything. And my boss is terrible. And I don't make enough money. And I'm... And by about 8 o'clock, you were ready to quit, right? And you came in, and you were fine. You had a good morning. You got up on time. Traffic was light. Everything was good. But just because you got around all that negativity, it rubbed right off on you, doesn't it? And if we can go in there, and if we can change the conversation, if we can try to steer the conversation towards life-giving words, you can just see people's faces change. You can see the way that their day goes change. That's not an accident, guys. There is power. I'm not preaching to name it and claim it, that we speak things into existence and all that foolishness. But there is power in your words. There are power in your words. Let me give you a couple of scriptures to point that out to you. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want you to hear from God's word. Proverbs 18:21. The beginning of that verse says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's a strong statement. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You tell me our words don't matter? 1 Peter 3.10, this is an interesting verse. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. You want that? You want to love life and see good days? I'll vote for that. If you want to love life and see good days, here's the formula. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You are going to love life and see many more good days if you avoid that kind of talk in your life. It's so easy to get pulled into it, but your day and your life will be miserable when you live with that type of speech coming out of your mouth. One more, Ephesians 4.29 let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for what? for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear I used to for a short time do some, some home remodeling flipping houses and stuff usually the folks that don't know how to do a whole lot of stuff like me you know what job that we get to do? We get to tear the stuff down. So if there's a wall, hey, dummy, get the goggles and the hammer and knock that wall down. That's easy. You know what takes skill? Building it up. Building it up. It is so easy to tear things down. You can tear somebody down in two minutes. You can tear a church down in two minutes. You can tear a home down in two minutes. But it takes time to build things up. It's a slow process of building things, brick upon brick, word upon word. But you can do it if you're intentional with it. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. We need to catch ourselves because it starts up here and then it comes right out. Well, actually, it starts in here and comes right out, doesn't it? And so we've got to be careful about what we allow to come into our lives and, more important, what we put out of our lives is our speech life-giving or is it destructive? Have you Listen, and let's be honest, because here's the thing that drives me crazy about church folks. We can be having the worst day ever. We could have just went out last night and, and just blown it and sinned in all sorts of ways. And when we walk through these doors, we pretend like everything's okay. We come in here and we don't want nobody to know what we did. We don't want to be transparent and honest. And so we come in here, and for an hour, we fake it, and we leave, and we say, got through the invitation. Pastor didn't find out what I did. Nobody knows I, was, I, I had a fight with my spouse and my kids this morning. Nobody knows. The problem is you carried that baggage right on out with you. It's not going to get any better until you deal with it. You have to deal with these things. When you come in here, you're not amongst a bunch of people that's got it all figured out, and you're the weird one. Guess what? We're all the weird. Amen. We're all a lot messed up. We all have sinned. We may be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean that we walk around every day and get it right all the time. We all still fall short. We all still have to repent. We all still have to turn to the Savior. Not to get saved over and over again, but because we get dirty walking through this world, we have to stay in fellowship with Christ, and we have to stay in fellowship with one another. It's so important, guys. So if you've come in here today and you've got the load of the world on you, you've got sin, you've got alcohol in your breath, I don't care where you've been last night, you're in the right place today. You can get right with God today. And that's what matters. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the gift that we've been given. What will you do with it? Make sure that your speech is life-giving, not destructive. Here's another thing that happens A lot of times in homes and in churches and in families when it comes to communication. Are you even aware? Is the other person even aware of what's going on? Maybe the lines of communications have gotten so blurry or they haven't even started yet. There's been no real conversation that somebody doesn't even know that the other person's hurt. I don't know how many times that someone will get upset and the other person had no idea they did anything wrong. And it it may be something so simple as this person is having a conversation with another person about that person over there, and that person over there happens to walk by and hear the conversation, and they're they're devastated. They're hurt. Well, I heard that so-and-so did this. And there's that talk, right, that destructive talk. And this person's devastated, ready to leave the church, ready to walk out of the relationship, whatever. And you guys don't even know that they know. Because you should have went to that person first. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Two people. Nobody else. We're not, we're not bringing in this group and that group and starting to click, we're going to that person and we're having a conversation. We're going to talk to them and explain, I love you, but I was hurt by this. I want to work this out together. I want to forgive. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the biblical pattern. Now, if that doesn't work, there are steps to follow up, ultimately, if in a sin issue within the church, in this in this context. But either way, going to that person and having a conversation is vital, guys, There's got to be some communication that happens. If there's people in this church that you are uncomfortable with or that you are on edge with, number one, have you guys come together and even talked? Have you even spoken yet? If not, that's where it's got to start, in your family, in your job, wherever. Because here's what I've found over the years as a pastor. When people are hurt, they just want to be heard. They want to be heard. And they won't always go to that person that hurt them but they want to get it off their chest. And so maybe they'll come to the pastor. Maybe they'll come to the deacon. Maybe they'll just come to some random church member. But they just want to be heard. But the place that it needs to start is with the person that was offended. And when it turns into a shouting match, you're no longer communicating. So if it, if it needs to take a couple of days to let things cool off, do that. But don't put it off indefinitely. Have the conversation with that person. Here's another thing that's important for you to remember when you're having a conversation with someone or if, if you hear something, if you do hear gossip or if you do hear a story from somebody, here's some good biblical advice. Proverbs 18:13 says this. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. So make sure that you're clear on all the events before you speak against it. Before you make a decision on who's right and who's wrong, make sure that you have heard the story, not secondhand, but from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Make sure that you have all the facts in line. Because a little bit later, a few verses later, Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. See, there's a process to all this. We need to go to that person and have a conversation with them first. So they're aware. So both sides are aware of what's going on, the hurts that happened, the sins that were committed, whatever. And if other people need to be involved, then they need to make sure that they know the whole story. You can't just have one side and say, well, I I like this person, so I'm going to agree with them. They're honest, so I trust them. You have to have all the facts. Or you're just going to speak the wrong thing and create further division. I've seen it happen all the time. Sometimes... It happens in a marriage because one spouse will go to their friends and guess what? Their friends are going to affirm what they want to hear. A true friend will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. But oftentimes we surround ourselves with yes men or yes women who will just say what we want to hear. And it's like we live in an echo chamber, even on social media. You may have 1,500 friends, but 1,499 of them agree with everything you say. And then the one person that dares stand against you gets attacked. And I'm not saying you have to change your values and your views if that person is at odds with what you believe. But it's not always a bad thing to listen to people with opposing viewpoints. It's not always a bad thing to have conversations with people that are different from you. If you surround yourself with just yes men and yes women, you are never going to grow in your life. I think some of the deepest examination that I've ever had take place has taken place through people that think and and act and talk differently than me as believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about as believers. It's caused me to dig deeper into the Word of God. If somebody challenges me with something they believe that's different from the doctrine I believe, it has caused me to dive deeper into the Word of God to assure myself that what I am teaching and preaching and believing is right. I welcome those things. Don't be afraid to be challenged. Because the truth will stand. The truth will stand. If you have the truth, you should never be afraid of who opposes you, who questions you, who wants to to have you second-guess things even. You don't have anything to worry about if you've got the truth. And if you don't, you should be glad that you're going to find the truth. So either way, it's important to have those conversations. I also will say this. It's important that we communicate with God regularly. We need to be communicating with God regularly. And that spills over into our communication with one another. In the church, in our homes, wherever it might be, in any relationship, we as believers have got to have a regular communication with God, and that should carry over into then our relationships. James 5.16, listen to what it says there. Confess your sins to who? What's that say? One another. And pray for who? One another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It is important for us, obviously, we cannot forgive sin. I don't need you to come up here and get in a confessional booth and confess your sins to the pastor so that I can absolve you. That's not how this works. But there is something important about us as believers confessing our sins to one another. It's important for us, not so that we can go gossip and say, did you, hear, did you hear what Brother George did? He told me that he did this and that, and that. I can't believe it. That's not why we confess our sins to one another. We confess our sins to one another so that, number one, we can be accountable. It's important to be accountable. And number two, it's so that we can be encouraged. So that we can be encouraged. Because, again, if you confess your sin to a true brother, they're going to say, they're not going to say, well, it's okay. Don't worry about it. If you went out and did that, it's fine. God understands. That person is going to go with you before the throne and help you get right with God. That's what a true friend will do. They won't tell you what you want to hear. They're going to take you to where you need to be and what you need to hear. And that's why we confess our sins. Listen, you don't need to come in here and pretend you're sinless because I know better. God knows better and you know better. Why pretend when you can have the real thing? There are genuine Christian brothers and sisters in this church that will love you and pray for you and care for you. Man, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? If you went up to the hospital and you had a vein cut, an artery cut, and you went and sat in the ER and all the doctors ran over and you said, oh, no, no, I just want to sit here. Don't don't, don't worry about it. It'll bleed out eventually. That'd be pretty silly, wouldn't it? You come into this place where you can get help from one another, where you can meet with the Lord, meet with the Holy Spirit, come to the altar and pray with one another, whatever, and you say, no, I'm just going to come in there and fake it. Nobody will see me bleeding if I cover it up real good. And I'll walk out of here and go home. And you leave week after week after week with the same sin, the same struggles, the same problems. Because you're trying to cover it up rather than letting the Lord wash it away. Let him wash it away. And you won't have to deal with it anymore. But we've got to communicate with him. C.S. Lewis said this, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time waking and sleeping it doesn't change god it changes me it changes me when you pray it's not to get god's ear and to have god do this and do that oftentimes the prayer is so that god will work through faith to change you he may not change your circumstances but he will always change you he will always change you he will create in you a clean heart he will create in you new desires let God do the work in your life. We too often go to God and say, now God, I've thought a lot about this, got my list here, and if you'll just do these things, it'll work out just fine. Do you think God needs you to tell Him what to do? Do you think God needs our advice? Of course not. Matter of fact, if He did it our way, most of the time it'd end up worse than it was. I'm glad that we can just take it to Him and leave it with Him and know that what He decides to do with it is what is going to be best for us. That takes faith, yes. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Are we having those conversations with God? In our little story that we started the sermon with, there was the silent treatment. Maybe that's your go-to. When things get rough in the home, silent treatment. I'll show them. just won't speak to them. won't say a word. That's one of the worst things that can happen in a home is when the communication stops. Maybe after a while, you just get so fed up with it, you throw up your hands and you say, you know what? I'm tired of asking. I'm tired of talking. It's like talking to the wall. They don't listen. I'm just not going to talk anymore. I'm not going to communicate. I'm not going to share my feelings because they don't care. I'm not going to share my dreams. They don't care. I'm just going to shut down. That is one of the worst things that you can do in your home is to stop sharing your hurts, your excitements, your goals, your dreams. Keep sharing those things. I don't know if you, and in that map you'll see several areas of land and several bodies of water. When you get time, and if you're flipped to there, you can look at it, you'll see two bodies of water that we read about a lot in the Scriptures, and that's the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee is a vibrant sea. It's where the disciples would fish. It's where Jesus walked on the water. Many of the stories in the Gospel took place on the Sea of Galilee. It is a sea full of life. It's full of fish. The water is moving. Why is it moving? Because it has tributaries. It has water coming in. It has water going out. The water doesn't sit and become stagnant. It's a life-giving source. The Dead Sea, on another example, if you look at your map, you will see one river flowing into it and nothing coming out of it. The Dead Sea is exactly that. It's dead. It's covered with calcium on the top and and sodium on the top and nothing can live there. The water is so bad that you can actually get into the water. I've never been to Israel, but I've talked to people that have and you'll float. You don't have to hold your breath or anything. You just float on the water because there's so much of that stuff in there. And nothing lives in it because things come in, but nothing comes out. If you don't communicate regularly, you're going to become like that Dead Sea. You're going to become like that. Your hopes and your dreams and your desires will slowly die away. But if you keep sharing and keep believing and keep having conversations, it's a source of life. It really is. Don't let anybody quench that in you. Have those conversations. And it starts with having those conversations regularly with God. If nobody else will listen to you, share it with God. Talk to God. You're not bothering Him. He's not overwhelmed. He's not too busy. He wants to hear from His people. Talk to Him. Even if it seems mundane, even if it seems petty, go and have that conversation with God. He's our Heavenly Father. He desires to hear from His children. You can come to Him at any time, at any place. He, doesn't, he never sleeps nor slumbers. You can have that talk with Him. I want to shift gears as we wrap things up here. We've talked about communicating, but I want to go to the other spectrum of it. This is just as important, maybe more important. And that is the art of listening. I said earlier that I think we have more lines of communication in the world than ever before. But people are hearing less and less. Nobody hears anymore. We listen, but we don't really hear it. We don't take it in. We don't absorb. We're always listening to give a response. We're not listening to learn. We're not listening to understand. We're just listening to respond. And I think social media has created that in us because we live in a a Twitter culture where we got 140 characters or however many you get on there now to make a response. And so every time somebody says something, we're ready to come back with our little cliche sayings or our bumper sticker slogan. Say, see, I got you. I got you. Are we ever listening to really understand? To find out what's going on with that person? To find out what their needs are? You can come, it, it happens in churches all the time. You can have almost every church I've ever been to, for the most part, will tell you we are a friendly church. We are a friendly church. That can be true of K. Russo. That can be true of the 50 other churches on Millville Avenue. It can be true of just about every church I've ever been to. They'll say we are a friendly church. But I'll tell you this. There's very few churches that make real friendships. There's a difference. Having 15 people at the door to say hello to you when you come in is fantastic. That should happen. But building real relationships is just as important, if not more. And that takes more effort. It's easy to stand at the door and say, good to see you. See you next Sunday. And do that 52 times a year. It takes more effort to say, I saw you at the altar and I could tell you had a burden. Do you want to come over Thursday and we'll have lunch? That takes a little more effort, doesn't it? But which one is going to benefit that person more? Praying for you. See you next Sunday. Or would you like to grab some lunch and talk? I have a burden for you. You see? There's a difference between being friendly and making friends. And so when we listen, it's important. Let me give you another little short, funny story to kind of illustrate this. There was a husband and a wife. And they were at a party chatting with some friends. When the subject of marriage counseling came up. Oh, We'll never need that. My wife and I have a great relationship, the husband explained. She was a communications major in college, and I majored in theater, he continued. She communicates well, and I act like I'm listening. That's a bad joke, wasn't it? But either way, you get the idea. Some of you just got it. But either way, the point is true. A lot of times, we don't give people our attention. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to what? Hear. Slow to what? Slow to anger. Do we not have it backwards? We are quick to speak and slow to hear. We've got it all backwards. The Bible tells us what we need to be doing. We need to be good listeners. We need to be able to listen to people. Not just to give an answer but to understand who they are. Someone said, speak in such a way that others love to listen to you and listen in such a way that others love to talk to you. It's important. We need to be good communicators, but we also need to be good listeners. That's a fine line. But for the good of our homes, the good of our children, the good of our churches, we need to work on those things. We need to communicate. We need to speak life. We need to be encouragers. We need to build up. We need to rebuke when it's necessary we need to admonish when it's necessary absolutely I'm not just saying that we walk around with this Joel Osteen kind of mentality and all we do is say good positive things all the time when there is a real need to speak truth that stings a little bit we say it God sometimes puts certain messages as preachers we got to get up here and stomp on your toes and he stomped on our toes and we're all a bloody mess by the time the sermons over but if it gets us where we need to be then praise God I don't want to do that every week and I don't think you do either. But there's times when it's necessary and if that's where God leads us, that's where we'll go. Right? But I don't want to just stand up here every Sunday and tell you that everything's good and everything's positive and everything's great if there are things in your life and my life and the church's life that need to be addressed. I'm not fulfilling my duty as a shepherd if all I do is to give you false assurance that everything's okay. And so many seek that today. They just want affirmation in their sin. They want justification in their sins. And you can find that at many churches. But you won't find that in true biblical churches. There's still preachers out there that want to preach that hell is hot and sin is real. And that there is a day of judgment. And we want to warn you of those things. I want to warn you of those things. That if you continue in your sin, you will die lost. That's the reality. Those are messages that I have to communicate. I can't make you hear that. I can't make you take that into your heart and allow the Spirit to change you. But I'm responsible to communicate it. And I try to do that each week. And so, when we think about listening, and we think about this thing of communication, I want you to think about another verse. It's kind of a parallel verse with what we read in the Tower of Babel. All the language there was confused. We go to the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 and we see folks of all different nations and tribes and tongues and yet Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and they can speak in different tongues and everybody hears in their own language. It's a complete reversal of what happened at Babel. The language there was confounded because of judgment. Here God is building His church, forming His church and every tribe, nation and tongue is being brought together under the gospel. They're all hearing in their language. But even though Peter's communicating truth, there's always going to be skeptics who judge what you're saying. What was the response to Peter in Acts? Look at Acts 2.13. Some received the message, but what happens in verse 13? It says, others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's what's going on. This isn't an answer to the prophecy in Joel that your young men would dream dreams and your old men would see visions and you would speak in tongues. No, these guys are drunk. There's always going to be skeptics. There's always going to be scoffers. One of the biggest problems, church, is we have become too worried about what people think about us. One of the—I don't care—I have taught evangelism classes, discipleship classes. I've preached in different circumstances. And I've always heard the same thing when you ask the question, what is the number one barrier to you share in your faith? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And what are we afraid of? We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of people making fun of us. We're afraid about people going to think differently of us. Church, we've got to get over that. We have got to pray for boldness. I mean, you know, and I'm not picking on you because I know it's, it's hard. I'm, as, even as a preacher, it's hard to go out and speak to people outside of a church setting. It's more comfortable in here, right? But you get out there, and you're on the enemy's territory, and it's a little bit more difficult. But church, we've got to pray for boldness to do these things. We can't just keep pushing the mission aside because we're afraid. I see guys over in these other countries with their hands bound behind their backs, having their heads chopped off for confessing Jesus Christ. And we're scared to take a track and lay it down somewhere and nobody's watching. I mean, at some point, we have got to say, Lord, help us to be better communicators. Because as I started the message, I want to finish it. The ultimate line of communication is us going out into the world and sharing the good news of Jesus. And if we're failing there, then nothing else matters. If we're not preaching the good news, then we've fallen short in our biggest line of communication, guys. Listen to what it says in Romans ten thirteen through 15. We often quote verse 13, and then we stop everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. That's wonderful. But what does it say? How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now here's where everybody says, well, I'm glad we got pastor because he preaches. I don't do that. What is... Here's here's a bonus question. Maybe some of you that's been at the church for a while will answer this. What is the Greek word right there for preaching? Say it out loud. K. Russo. That's right. The name of this church, the very name of this church, means to go forth and proclaim the good news. To proclaim victory. The reason why I feel like God led us to call the church that name is because... We can have conversations with people when they say, what in the world is a K. Russo? I've had so many people say, what does K. Russo mean? And I get to tell them. I get to say, hey, it means to proclaim good news, and this is the good news that you are dead in your sin, but there is a Savior that came and laid down His life, and three days later He rose again. And all you have to do is place faith in that Jesus, and He can save you and make you a new creature. It's that easy to have that conversation just by using the name of your church. Are we willing to be a little bit uncomfortable and go out and share that good news with people? He says, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news. The feet that preach the good news. My feet don't talk, but they take me to places where my mouth can. You've got to be willing to go. The Great Commission starts with that word, go, and make disciples. Go. Jesus says, come, and then he tells his church to go. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, the call to you is not go out there and be a better person, go out there and work harder, go out there and live a better life. The call is come unto Me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The call is come and take of the water of life freely. Come whosoever will. That is what Christ says to lost sinners today. Come. But if you are a believer, He says go remember we talked last week about being ambassadors we are ambassadors for Christ and our message is this be reconciled to God we go and tell people to come come to Christ come to Jesus to be saved come to Jesus to have your sins washed away come to Jesus and rest in him that's the message that all of you have been given not just the pastor I have a calling to shepherd and under, be an under shepherd of the church, to lead and teach, my gifts are that to do so. But that doesn't exclude you from the call of going out and carrying the good news. All of you've been given that awesome, wonderful responsibility. My question church is this, how is our communication? How is our communication with God? How is our communication with one another? How is our communication in our families? Maybe today that line of communication starts up here at the altar. I'm going to invite Chad to come this morning. And he's going to lead us in a song of invitation. I've given you the message that the Holy Spirit has told me to give. I can't make you respond. That's between you and God. But I'll encourage you as we begin this time. If you have a need. If you have sin if you have a struggle, don't keep faking it that you're okay. Don't keep pretending. Don't worry about what anybody here thinks. Don't worry about what pastor thinks. Because I can tell you most of the time if somebody comes up here and gets saved and gets right with God, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing, not a lot of finger pointing. So as we pray and then we'll stand and sing, you will follow the Lord as He leads. Father, we come to You today just asking You now to have Your way in this service. Pray that You would just take this message and by your spirit draw men to you as you promised you would. And Lord, we give you thanks today for for what we've heard and how we've worshipped, and now the response that we get during this invitation. We give you all the praise today.